Tonight's show is brought to you by the mystery of the high desert, Vendetti Optics, and you, our listeners. That's one of those places, if you slip and fall, it is so far down that you have time to consider some of the poor choices that you have made in your life. And I don't think anyone wants to fall long enough that you can think about how stupid you were (laughs) before you actually die. What is up, all of you wayward souls, and welcome back to the Wayward Stories podcast. Wayward Stories is the podcast where we tell the tales of our adventures in wandering and wondering. I am so glad to be back here in the studio tonight, and I am so glad that you guys have joined me. It is time to get down and tell some more tales about my adventures in New Mexico. If you will recall, we are just basically going to finish what we started in the last episode. There was so much over my Thanksgiving birthday weekend adventure to southern New Mexico that we couldn't get it all into one episode. I think that episode ran like an hour and a half long, and we could not fit it all in. So, you know, we had to put it off until this week, which is great because we get two episodes out of the deal, and that helps me with my busy life because you guys... I don't know. I know some of you that listen to me have your own podcast. Some of you have your own creative endeavors. And as you well know, coming up with new content, new ideas week after week after week, or like me, you know, every two weeks, that is a whole process. Being creative takes a lot of brain space. And if you got a whole lot of stuff going on in your life, it's hard to get in the right mindset and to carve out the time to create new material. So if I can get two episodes, legitimate, not like watered down episodes out of a single adventure, man, that is just all the better in my opinion. So tonight we're going to finish up what we started two weeks ago. Before we do that though, we do have some housekeeping to go over tonight. So you guys sit tight as we work our way through it. So a lot has happened since last we spoke. It's been a couple of weeks, right? Um, actually a whole lot has happened in the last two weeks and you know, most of it's positive. That's what we're going to talk about tonight. Um, at least here in the housekeeping, but first do a couple of shout outs. We got a new review on Apple podcast. And as you guys know, I am so in like eternally grateful when we get new reviews. Cause as a budding grassroots bot podcast, I've told you guys how important that is. It's one of the most important things you could do if you want to support the show. Um, and, you know, up until this point, I've always shouted out the people who have done them, and we will continue to do so. Um, and anyway, this last week, we got a new review from, let's see, make sure I say this right, Boston Traveler 4. And I'm not going to read their review to you, but it was very positive. They were down in Texas in the Hill Country, and they happened to cross the Enchanted Rock in the Texas Hill Country episode and left a very, very nice five-star review. Like, y'all, it made my day. Boston Traveler 4, if you're out there and you're still listening to us, I just want to say thank you. I am eternally grateful, super, super, super happy that you took the time, and I'm super happy that you're really enjoying it. I hope to not let you down. I try to get better every week. So anyway, thank you guys so much. Whomever you are out there, feel free to get in touch with me. Send me an email at mywaywardstory at gmail.com. I'd love to hear about your adventures and what you guys do out there. But if you feel the need, by all means, get in touch. I love 
making contact with the people that listen to the show. Next, I want to shout out, I got an Instagram message just about a week ago, and it was from someone down in New Mexico who had picked up a one of the flyers, one of the tiny postcard size flyers I'd left at Saint or um at Joseph's restaurant in Santa Rosa, which we're gonna talk about tonight at the end of this episode. But the the pur- purveyor there was such a nice, nice lady, and she allowed me to put a whole stack of our cards right there on the counter. And um this person got in touch with me, said I picked up your card at Joseph's restaurant, and it was just a really nice message, and it shows me that the ideas that we had with the rat cards and the um, postcard size flyers to drop out there in the world anywhere someone's willing to let us shows me that it's working. And that is super, super awesome. So definitely shout out to you who I'm going to keep your name, you know, anonymous, but thanks for getting in touch. And for any of the rest of you, if you ever see any of my rat cards or postcards floating around out there, anywhere I've been, feel free to pick them up and move them on down the road to your next stop. Like that's kind of one of the fun things about those flyers in particular is they kind of have a call to action on the back. That's like, Hey, if you found this, carry me on down the road and put me somewhere else. And I want to hear from people. I want to see how far some of these cards have made it. One in particular made it all the way into Canada. And I have been, I heard from someone who said, I picked this up in Canada and I was like, yo, that is awesome. That is so cool. So if you guys come across them in the wild, feel free to redistribute them elsewhere at your discretion. Um, okay. Those two are out of the way. Next two little bits of housekeeping are just things going on in my personal life. Cause you know, you guys, a lot of you actually keep up with me. Like you're quite interested in the things that I'm doing. Cause I've kind of shared my whole damn life right here on the podcast for the last couple of years. Um, guys, this is awesome. I just scored a couple of volunteer opportunities, which to me, they're going to function in a very real way, like an internship. They're going to accomplish for me what I need an internship to accomplish. But with Miss Laura's, the visitor center here in Fort Smith, which is a historic bordello on the national register of um, historic places. Um, and I'm going to, I'm working already in depth. Like we have been digging deep into a research project. And you guys know me. I am a research nerd. I love it. I'm a research hound. We've been tearing into, you know, the truth and the fact and the fiction and the, you know, what do we really know about the truth of how things were in this bordello on the row back in the late 1800s and early 1900s. Y'all, I'm talking like I've got lines out to county records, um, several places right now. There's a, um, injunction that the county records office pulled for me about Miss Laura and a business associate of hers from 1915 that's waiting on me to come and photograph tomorrow. Super cool stuff. And I got a line in with the National Historic Site, Fort Smith National Historic Site, and I'm super excited to work with them. Their volunteer coordinator, super awesome dude. And like when we talked, we talked for like an hour the other day and he was like, listen, man, he's like, we can get you into everything. We got historic preservation. We've got historical weapons. We've got all the things. He's like, you can work with me on Interp on Saturdays. So honestly, just letting you guys know, because I'm super excited. These are big wins for me. Big wins for me. Um, yes, they're unpaid, but I need the experience to put on a resume. And I also need the connections. Like I said, this is essentially an internship for me. I'm doing it through the volunteer aspect, um, angle on it, but it's going to function for what I need it to. Um, And on top of that, 
that sounds very, that is very, um, gosh, I just went blank on the word. It's late in the evening and it's been a long weekend. Um, but that, that seems very utilitarian of me, you know, like just so you understand, no, I'm super psyched because I'm actually getting to you know, like touch and explore history things, you know, from behind the curtain. The thing I want to do when I graduate college is to actually get involved with stuff. Like I'm getting to get involved. So like, not only is it utilitarian, um, it's actually just super freaking cool. Anyway, moving on. You guys, I said I was going to talk about two things, but yeah, I've just spent eight minutes on housekeeping and intro. So like, like, let's just get on to the show for tonight. Um, I'll try to, cause it wasn't really all that important. Anything that I was going to tell you, um, you know, it's just stuff, just life stuff. So let's move on. Let's get into tonight's show. So what we're going to be doing tonight is picking up at day four, like the first episode, the first part of this little mini series started two weeks ago and we went through the first three days. Today we're picking up at day four and we're going to talk about the rest of my trip. And it was actually a really good natural break point, honestly, because the final day, well, there were two final days. One of them was mostly a drive day, which was pretty much uneventful except for nasty, crappy rain all the way across the state of Oklahoma and a whole ordeal, a whole ordeal with a very, very crappy person driving and trying to cause hell for everyone on the road, like purposefully never will ever understand trolls. I will never understand trolls, but basically this whole episode is going to be about day four, the final day of adventuring, but there was so much in it. And the stuff that's in it is so rich and so full. Like, yeah, we're going to get a whole episode out of it. No idea how long it will take. It might be short for us. It might just be an hour long, but we got a whole episode here. So we're going to get into that. You know, one of the very first things I want to talk about is, you know how I've told you guys for a couple of years now, you know, I started my own traditions some time ago for the holidays. Um, and to me, it was a unique idea. To me, it was um, something I'd never really run across. It was just unique, and it worked for me. And I mean, I kind of love it a lot now. I super love it a lot now. Um, I like my holiday tradition more than I really kind of liked any of the ones I ever did before with all the peoples. Um, Maybe I'm just not a people person. Who knows? But something I really noticed on this trip, because I went to several national, um, national parks administered sites, um... I'm not the only holiday traveler out there. Ran across three people from Dallas at Gila National Monument, as a matter of fact. And we were all out there kind of on our lonesome. And we kind of hiked our way up to the the Gila Cliff dwellings that we talked about last week. We all hiked up together and we talked a little bit here and there. And, you know, come to find out that's kind of what they were doing. They didn't really offer me any background of like, oh, we don't have family or this or that. They didn't offer me any real background, just that they like to travel on holidays. And I started to notice there's a lot of cars out there on the holidays that were showing up at the same places I was going out there exploring and adventuring just like I was. We're going to talk about White Sands here probably in the second half of the show. And let me tell you something. That's most of what that's going to be about. There's a lot of holiday travelers out there. But it was kind of cool because I started to notice I wasn't the only one. A lot of other people have kind of had this same idea. And there's kind of a brotherhood to it. 
you know, a sisterhood, a brotherhood, the brethren and the sistren. How would you say that? Sistren? I don't think that's a word, but I make up words. It's my podcast. I can do what I want. Um, but there's a lot of people out there and it's kind of cool because when you do run up on them and you're on the same trail and it's a Thanksgiving day or a Christmas day or whatever, obviously it's kind of odd because you're one of the only people out and about and you find out like, yeah, we're out kind of doing the same thing. And a little bit, you find a little, another piece of your tribe in a way you may never talk to him again, probably won't, but there's something about that. That's really, really cool. There's something about that. That is really, really cool. Um, oh, and y'all real quick, cause here's one that I mentioned in the last episode. I cannot remember if I said this. Okay. We're going to say it again. Um, just in case, cause it's only one off, but I tell you guys that while I was at Gila cliff dwellings, when we came down to the bottom, there was another like lesser cliff dwelling, like the people at the bottom of the hill that you could hike in and see some petroglyphs and see the, um, cliff dwelling, which was a real short hike. And I got back in there and there's a guy in there, started talking to him and he was literally hiking from Canada to Mexico. And his um, Instagram, I believe was at solo underscore man underscore GQ. Um, so you guys go check him out. He just finished. I just saw on Instagram like last night or the night before. And he showed him at the starting point of the trail and the ending trail down there in New Mexico or in Mexico, or probably right at the border would be my guess. Um, but he completed his trans country trek from Canada to Mexico. Um, and that's crazy y'all that is intense. You want to talk about through hiking, you want to through hike an entire damn country. Y'all ought to check him out. Like that guy's out there really, really wandering and wondering. But anyway, I just thought it was really cool. Like not the only guy person out there that utilizes the low density of people in traffic that are out there on holidays because they're on home with their families. And it's kind of cool. There's kind of like a, it's kind of like the road warrior brotherhood, but it's like even another tier, which is like the road warriors of the holiday weekends. And that was kind of cool to me. But anyway, we're going to start here at day four. And, and this is interesting. Okay. We're starting out day four, going to dripping Springs natural area, which is in the Oregon mountains of New Mexico, and it is O-R-G-A-N, the Oregon Mountains. I had a kid that's a friend of mine. He's a search and rescue guy in, in Oklahoma. And I was talking about, you know, some of my posts I had on Instagram or Facebook or whatever. And I posted about the Oregon Mountains. And he um, came back with, he's like something about the Oregon Mountains. And I was like, no, nah, bro, it's actually the Oregon Mountains. Like he was hearing it like an organ you have in your body. It's actually Oregon, like a pipe organ in the spires. And that's at least my understanding of what it was. Cause they call some of them the spires and the, the Oregon spires or whatever. So my understanding is that some of the mountains from the right angle in the right place actually resemble like the spires of a pipe organ could be totally wrong, but I know it's not like your friggin' pancreas. Okay. It's, you know, not about human body parts. Um, so it's O R G A N the Oregon mountains right outside of Las Cruces. I'm talking like 24 minutes max from where I had stayed back in town. Um, and it's funny how this worked out. Sometimes you feel like the road trip gods are just on your side. They're just in your favor because as I said in the last episode, I had like a bunch of things that I actually really wanted to check out on this trip and not even like nearly enough time. There was a lot of stuff left on the table but I knew I had to hike up in the Oregon mountains in the dripping Springs natural area on those trails because there is an abandoned 
mountain camp that was like a 32-room hotel. If I'm wrong on the number of rooms, I don't care. You get the point. I'm pretty sure it was 32. And then right up next to it was an abandoned TB asylum, tuberculosis asylum up there in the mountains. So I was like, I have to, I have to, have to. Y'all, that's like Rurex. That's Exploit. That, that's it. Abandoned structures are awesome to me. There's history there. I want to go do this. And it kept like absolutely not working out. I kept wanting to get there at sunset. This is the goal I was after. I wanted to be there at sunset because I felt like sunset would offer the most opportunities for really, really good pictures. Like my mind being somewhat something of a photographer was like picturing, you know, we want golden hour, right? And as it turns out, it didn't work out that way. And that was actually a really good thing in the end. Because the way it worked out, as I chased all the things those first three days all over the damn desert, the Tularosa Basin, and all over the Black Range Mountains, all of those things, it just didn't work out that way. Never got up there at sunset. So I was like, okay, if this is going to happen, it's going to have to happen in the morning. So that's just fine. We can have it happen in the morning, the last day, because when I finished there... You know what? We can just split the drive day home into two days and I'll stop in either Santa Rosa or I'll stop in Tucumcari for the night and then just have a long shot home on whatever day it was, you know, the final day that I had to be exploring. Um, so I was like, okay, well, I can do that. I can actually explore a couple of more things on my final day here, a couple of the major points, and then just, you know, hit out at sunset and make it to Tucumcari by eight or nine or 10 o'clock and it'll be great. Well, it ended ended up working out perfectly. Like, did not mean for that to happen, but it ended up working out perfect. Because when I get there, I'm driving into a snow squall all up on the Oregon Mountains. You can see them coming from a good distance away. If you guys go over to youtube.com forward slash wayward stories, you can watch the video um, and even see the ruins of these places that I went up to explore. You can see the snow in the distance as I'm approaching the mountains. It's pretty cool little video, pretty cool little video. And it's high quality. I think most of it's in 4k. My camera fails me sometimes and kicks it over to like 1080p, but most of it's in 4k. Um, go and check that out, but driving into a snowstorm and I'm like, this is actually awesome. I am super psyched about this. So get there go into the office and check in, you know, you got to check in, let them know you're here. I think you pay a little day fee. It's cheap. It wasn't much. I think it's like $5 say, Hey, we're here. So if we go missing, you know, where to come look for us, you know, we're going up this trail or whatever. And the lady that was working there was so sweet. She was such a nice lady. And she said, man, y'all, what a perfect morning. You've picked an amazing morning to go up and hike. It's our first snowfall of the year. I was like, it could not have worked out better. Could not have worked out better because I got to hike up in the high desert into the mountains, the Oregon mountains in a pretty heavy snowfall. And it was absolutely gorgeous and it was absolutely glorious on top of that. It was awesome. And she was such a sweet lady. I got to show you guys this. She gave me this little rock that she, let me see if I can put it up there where you guys can kind of see it. Whoever's watching on YouTube that she has hand decorated and she has drawn a little picture of the mountains. I believe I see it could be an eagle or a falcon. It is nondescript what kind of bird. And um, I believe that is a little wolf down there howling and it's labeled Las Cruces, New Mexico, Oregon Mountain Desert Peaks and signed by her 
Bonnie. Bonnie, if you ever listen to this, I really like this. This is like one of the coolest things ever. This little tchotchke that you gave me, this little knickknack, and I keep it on my bookshelf now. I just, guys, those are the little things you pick up along the way that are so much fun because this is a human thing. This is something she makes a handful of these for every day. Um, anytime she's going to man the station there and she hands them out to the first few people that come in and I happen to get the last one she had for that day. And I don't know. I just love that. That's a human connection right there. And you guys know me. That's a human connection. I will keep that forever and ever. But get set up to go hike up after this TB asylum and to this mountain camp. So what is the history of this situation? Okay. The Van Patten mountain camp was the first thing that was up there in really in the crotch of this one turn in the Oregon mountains. It was kind of like one little inlet or cove of the mountains. I don't, I'm not sure the right word to say here, but it's kind of boxed in. It's not necessarily a box Canyon, but it is kind of boxed in. You can go only go up really so far before it turns into real treacherous hiking. Like you can go up above the mountain camp, above the old TB asylum, which I did for quite a ways until I was like, yo, I'm going to die up here. Um, and go on over the mountain, but it gets pretty insane up beyond the TB camp. Actually, just a little ways up beyond it. I don't know how far another mile up it starts to get a little bit out of hand unless you're really there to do real things and you're really prepared for it. Like just a random day hike when the ground is icy, the rocks are icy and slick. Yeah. It's not, um, it's not for just like passive entertainment. Like it gets pretty serious a little farther up. So my point is, is this is really tucked into one of the little nooks and crannies of the Oregon mountains. And it really sets a really cool scene. And what I found out when I got up there is it really, really worked out that I did not get up there in time for sunset one of those days. Because, I mean, it really essentially wouldn't have been good for photography at all because the TB camp itself is tucked into the east side just below a huge bluff. So there would have been no sunset for it. And there wouldn't have been much of one for Van Mountain's our Van Patten's mountain camp because it kind of set down into like a little bit of a low spot beneath these giant peaks and there's trees everywhere. I don't think sunset would have affected us even a little bit. And it was way, way, way better to stumble in to a snowstorm. So sometimes, like I said, sometimes I think the road trip gods are on your side and get things kind of lined out for you. So hiking up to the tuberculosis asylum and van Patton's mountain camp the hike itself it's it's actually a really well-maintained trail straight out of the box you know all the way up to both of those places actually it's beyond that that it's a little bit less kept and gets a little bit wild but the hike itself was awesome there is snow falling you picture this if you guys aren't driving close your eyes it's the high desert these mountains rise precipitously straight up in front of you snow is wrapping the peaks blowing over the peaks creating lenticular clouds the snow is swirling around you it is bitter biting cold on your skin and you are hiking into this i'm not even sure what kind of grass but it is prairie grass as it climbs up to right before it really becomes a mountainous climb and you're hiking through all this beautiful very blonde, very yellow prairie grass with white two or three inches deep all around it, white on the trees, 
white on old stone historic retaining walls that were all down through there and pieces and parts of the camp that were at the lower ends, things like the holding water tank. You're walking up, the snow is swirling around you. You're looking at this fog and this, this, these snow showers just swirling around the peaks. And as you start to gain elevation into those mountains, the snow gets deeper and deeper and deeper until you get up there and you're hiking in four, three or four or five inches of snow just on the path you're walking on. It's not just building up in the trees anymore. It's like everywhere. It was legit snow. And being in a storm, I have talked about this before on many episodes about that's one of the reasons I adventure. And I think a lot of people do. There's something about being there in the elements. I talked about it for sure. When I was hiking up in San Francisco in a freaking monsoon and it was cold, it was wet. It was damn miserable, but it was awesome because it does not get more quintessentially California central coast than a freaking monsoon in January or February where it's like hovering at 50 two degrees, 53 degrees. It's pouring rain, landslides all around you. You're in the redwoods. You are underneath the towering redwoods. There's waterfalls all around you. You feel like you're in some kind of a weird tropical rainforest. It doesn't even make sense, but that's what it feels like. But you feel it on your skin. You're soaking wet. You can smell the rain. You can smell the redwoods. You can smell all of the different scents of the forest, you can taste it because, I mean, water's dripping off, running down your face like all of your senses are experiencing. Just the weather, the environment that supports us, the planet, this stinking planet. And being out there in more inclement weather just adds to the experience to me. You might be physically miserable in the moment, but when it's over with, and you're back and you've had a nice long hot shower and you've got a belly full of warm food and you're thinking back on everything you saw in that moment, y'all, there's nothing like it. There's nothing like it. And that's what this was like. It was bitter cold. I'm in the high desert. It does not get more quintessentially high desert than a freak snow shower first thing in the morning. Y'all, most of it was melted by noon. By the time I left, When we got back down to the lower elevations, most of that had already melted off. Apparently, that's a thing in New Mexico that I didn't know about. Snow showers come, they're there for two or three hours, and then they're gone. Not here in Arkansas. If we get snow, it comes and it leaves an impact that lasts us a freaking week. Up there, it's like, oh no, that's just like, you know, a day in the life up here. It's here and then it's gone. So the timing worked out perfect. And like I said, does not get more quintessentially high desert than snowstorms popping in, dropping snow everywhere in these landscapes with cactus everywhere, cacti and aloe plants and like all of these awesome things that are just indigenous to the high desert. And you're starting to climb into these old volcanic uplifts and volcanically created mountains that are just absolutely gorgeous and snow capped. And you've got snow falling everywhere. Y'all, it was an entire vibe. It was a whole dang thing but then okay that alone is awesome that hike alone just as it was would have been good enough but it took it to the next level because of the history 
that's waiting at the top. And and I don't care if you're not even a history nerd, who does not like abandoned things? Everybody loves to explore abandoned things. So you get up to, basically there was a jump off point where the wagons would have come to back in the day, right? And you would have like basically put your horses up there and you would have taken another little, I'm not sure exactly how they ferried them on up, but the last, you know, quarter to a half mile, like they basically took care of it. But at the bottom, there was a chicken coop. There was some horse stalls. There, there was a whole thing. And those buildings are still there. And y'all, that feels so Colorado. It's not even funny. If any of you guys have ever gone ghost town chasing, ghost, yeah, ghost town chasing, old abandoned mine chasing in Colorado, it's got that whole vibe going on. That old, really dark, brown, weathered wood that is so well preserved because you're in the high desert, you know, very, very arid regions into the mountains up at the high elevations. And there's three buildings at the bottom. I believe there were three, you know, old fence post, old barbed wire. That was something that was super cool. The barbed wire, totally, totally like, you know, what's the word? Genuine. It was genuine. It was totally connected to the time frame the old two barb wraparound barbed wire i inspected it very closely it's legitimate it was very very cool and i did get some cool pictures of that which you guys can check out all of these pictures over at instagram if you want to go to instagram check it out instagram forward slash uh wayward sun 119 got a lot of cool pictures of this trip like several posts of this pit trip and some videos too over there on instagram that was super cool that's giving you the old West vibe, right? This guy, Van Patten was like, apparently he was in the Confederate army. He was a Butterfield Overland stagecoach driver, which you want to talk about taking, well, so huevos, y'all, you're getting held up by people. You got to have some interpersonal skills because you got people back there riding in a spring wagon, getting themselves beat to death over the old Butterfield stage trail. Like y'all that right there. That right there was the explorers of the old days. That right there was a wayward son. Someone who could do that, like that's impressive. Okay, so this Van Patten guy was a pretty impressive character. So he comes and he finishes up all his things. He finishes his service with the Confederate Army. He finishes being a stagecoach driver, I guess. He's like, I want to build something of a resort. We'll call it the Van Patten Mountain Camp. And he gets this piece of land and secures it. And he builds this big rock work you know, really, it's a resort, a hotel. You guys can look it up if you want more info on it. And it was just a really, really cool happening place back in the late 1800s and at the turn of the century into the early 1900s. There's a lot of remains left up there. And I will talk about those in just a second. But there's also Boyd's Sanatorium, tuberculosis sanatorium. Now, don't think of, many of you will probably think of like Waverly Hills, right? If any of you are into like ghost honey shows, like there's like 30 or 40 of those damn shows on TV now. You can't miss them. If you've ever watched any of them, you've probably seen someone go investigate Waverly Hills or one of the other really famous TV sanatoriums. This isn't like that. This is more like they built one stilted house that was a mess hall. There was the house that Dr. Boyd lived in. And then there were several little cabins scattered around. And it was just up high desert, high in the mountains, low humidity. Um, And that was one of the best ways they really had to treat TB back in the day. Um, You don't really want to know how they medically treated TB because y'all, I don't know, it's... It's torture. Like, it was like worse than medieval torture stuff. I was like, yo. When I started learning about the kind of things they did, like, we're talking like, 
you know, let's just remove a lung. Let's take out the bad lung. Or let's puncture the lungs and fill one of them. You guys, you just don't even want to know. It was brutal. So the more humane way and actually quasi-effective way to treat TB was get people into fresh air, mountain air, high, high mountain air, where there's a lot less humidity, a lot less contaminants like pollution. Pollution likes to hang low in the atmosphere. Um, And back at the turn of the century, we're already past the industrial revolution, guys. Pollution, pollution was a huge problem back then. All the coal burning plants, I mean, it's bad now, but y'all, it was really bad back then because there was no oversight. So getting people out of the low altitudes where all of those contaminants like to congregate, the heavy stuff congregates towards the ground, the gases and all the things like that, get them up into the clear mountain air and keep them outside a lot. Let them get a lot of fresh air. And it was actually quasi-effective to a certain degree. I mean, like, for example, I can't remember the guy's name, but the man who built the Estes Park Hotel in Colorado, which you may know from The Shining, if you're really interested in stuff like that, if you've ever seen Stephen King's The Shining or read it, you should go read about how he wrote that story. It is creepy as heck, but he was staying at Estes Park. And Estes Park. And anyway, Estes Park was put there by a man who came to Colorado because he had TB and a lot of money. And he built that hotel. And he actually got cured of tuberculosis, quite possibly by coming to Colorado and going up in the high mountains. It's really fascinating stuff. But this was more of like just a little mountain camp. Um, and it's very cool. When you get there, one of the first things you find is you come up on... When you come up upon a little, a bunch of little things that are just like, not insignificant, but smaller. Like I said, right at the very front of the trail, you got the old horse stalls, the chicken coop. They're real small buildings. You come on up, and when one of the first things you see as you come up, if you go up towards the TB um, asylum or to the TB camp, is the mess hall. Because it's stilted, and it's a larger building, and it's really cool standing up there. But you pass like a little building that looks kind of like an outhouse, but I don't think it was an outhouse. Um, I could not find any documentation or anything that said what that little structure was, but it's really cool. It looks a lot like the structures down at the bottom of the hill. Um, you pass a lot of stuff as you go up, but then you go see the mess hall. Mess hall, really, really interesting. You know, turn of the century building, early 1900s. It's not like Gothic. Like, don't get that in your head that it's like some really cool Gothic structure like Waverly or anything like that. But it's just a really... But freaking cool, abandoned building setting up there on the side of the mountain. And when you go up there and you can see the doctor's house still stands right behind it. And also of interest, just down behind the doctor's house is, I believe it to be probably one of the cabins that has collapsed. So that's kind of cool. And then also the water tank is just up the hill from the doctor's house and the um, mess hall. Really cool, guys. Just flat abandoned up there. I think the BLM is now trying to reinforce those structures and save them, you know, protect them as best they can for their heritage, the history that they tell, the story that they tell. But like when you're there and it's snowing on you and there's like snow swirling around those mountain peaks and I'm standing there right in front of this doctor's house, right behind the actual mess hall, looking up the side of the hill and I'm like... This is really, really fascinating. Can you imagine waking up to this every day? I wouldn't want to wake up to it with TB by any means. But waking up to this every day is insane. I mean, it makes me want to go be a hermit somewhere. And speaking of a hermit, there's one that we're going to talk about here in just a minute from this area. It's a really interesting story. But like, 
y'all, there's just something up in those mountains. There's a magic in the high desert. There's so, so, so a magic. There's so a vibe, so a frequency to it. I don't know what you want to call it, but it's something you feel when you're in it. And with those snow, the snow wrapping through those mountains and pouring through the valleys and, and hitting you in the face. And you're looking at these old buildings and you can put yourself there for just a minute. You can totally put yourself there for just a minute. And it's absolutely fascinating. It is really, really, um, if you've got a big imagination like me, you can step there for a minute and think, you know, they had it rough back then, but it also would have been kind of cool, kind of cool. And got me considering going to be a hermit myself somewhere. If I can find a little piece somewhere up in a mountain somewhere where everybody leave me alone, I can go be a grumpy old man. But anyway, from there, you can go on up and you can go check out Van, ba- Van Patten's Mountain Camp itself, which is mostly just a collection of ruined buildings like the windows, not the windows, but the walls have collapsed on most of them. None of the floors are left. I believe it was a two-story structure. It might have been three, but I think it was a two-story structure. had 32 rooms, if I remember what it said correctly, but it's what still stands as a framework, a shell of what it was. And there is one complete building standing right next to it, one of the smaller ones, which may have been a mess hall all its own or a kitchen or something like that, but it's just really cool. It's still there. And y'all, that's great for pictures too. There's also Dripping Springs, the name's named Dripping Springs Natural Area, right? Um, and there's like an old rockwork dam built right down there at the bottom that catches the water from that spring that drips constantly. And that was really cool. There's a lot of history there, a lot of good photographic opportunities. If you go and you are a little more adventurous, do know this, you can go up from the TB camp itself if you just follow the trail on up the hill from the tb camp you will wrap around up above van Patten's mountain camp and you'll be on top of a pretty dang high protuberance above the camp and you're looking back to the west looking down on the camp which looks like it's about ten thousand feet below you it's probably only like a hundred feet below you or maybe 150 i don't know but if you get a little adventurous you can get on up there and let me tell you something let me tell you something it was slick, cold, and icy when I was there, and I probably did things that necessarily probably shouldn't have done, but I felt confident in my placement. I felt confident in my footing because the rock where I was putting my feet was leaned backwards away from the drop, but it's like, just be advised. If you do what I did and go up there and you go climb up on top of the rock I climbed up on, be mindful that if you slip, it's going to keep slipping until you stop slipping. And when you do, it's going to be brutal. You're probably not going to like survive it. Um, but it was really cool. Everything up there is really cool. It gave me a really cool perspective of the mountain camp, even though the picture I took, I don't think did it real justice because like sometimes it's hard to get that perspective into a photo. You know what I mean? If you do it fully zoomed back to more like what you're seeing from your naked eye, it's just a tiny dot down there. People have to zoom way the hell in before they can even see what it actually is. If you zoom in, then you lose the perspective of how freaking far down there it is. Like I've said back on YouTube videos and some of the places I've been, like Hawksbill, Crag and stuff, it's one of those places, if you slip and fall, it is so far down that you have time to consider some of the poor choices that you have made in your life. Before you hit bottom. And I don't think anyone wants to fall long enough that you can think about how stupid you were (laughs) before you actually die. So just keep that in mind. Um, And, you know, really, that's 
that's about the extent of when you go up the canyon to this kind of end point, this kind of nook back in the Oregon mountains, that's about the extent of what's up there. There's a lot of cool stuff, but I've just described most of it. And when you come back down and I did not do this because again, I had still a lot of stuff on the table. I was trying to make happen before sunset that evening. And that hike took way longer than I expected because I did what I do and I explored the hell out of all of it. And I took a billion and four pictures um, and it just took way longer. I really explored the area. So I was already coming back down the mountain and hitting, you know, the, the camp or the camp, the park office in my vehicle. We were doing that at like noon. Okay. So I only got five hours of daylight, daylight left at this point. You know what I mean? So I did not go on over, but there's another trail there that you guys could check out. And it's called La Cueva. And anyway, it has a very, very long history. I'm going to read just a little bit from part of the um, the actual pamphlet here, the informational booklet. And anyway, La Cueva, which means the cave, is a light tan colored volcanic tuff below the A.B. Cox Visitor Center. The use of this cave started in archaic times around 5000 B.C. by the Jornada Mogollon, which may be Hornada Mogollon who were probably drawn to the area by water. They left behind rock art and grinding tools. Anyway, they found all kinds of pot sherds, like they've done some archaeological excavations there, but you can hike down and see La Cueva. But there's an interesting story that goes with La Cueva, according to this literature I have, and I'm going to read it to you real quick, because this is folklore. Not folklore, I mean, this is oral history. I don't know that he's recorded specifically, but this is oral passed down tradition that, by all accounts, seems to be probably pretty accurate. And you guys know me. I love me some history. Um, so anyway, the hermit. And this predates either one of the mountain camps, the TB camp or Van Patten's. The hermit. Agostini attracts followers with his eremitic life. David G. Thomas. No idea what at least three of those words mean. So let's move on. Giovanni Agostini, the hermit, lived a very eventful life that involved trekking across Europe, South America, Mexico and Central America, the Caribbean, the United States of America, and Canada. He embarked on his wandering in service of being a spiritual teacher and starting spiritual communities. Soon after he departed for southern New Mexico, he established a residency at La Cueva. Friends in the area worried or friends in Messia worried for his safety with the roving thieves in the area. The hermit comforted his friends by building a fire every Friday evening to signal that he was alive. And if there was no fire, he had either become severely ill or nefarious activity had occurred at La Cueva. So what you can understand is La Cueva is geographically higher than in elevation than Messia. So the people down in Messia could see the fire lit in front of his camp, in front of the cave where he had made a home. On Friday, April 30th, 1869, no Friday night fire appeared. Friends promptly trekked up to La Cueva where they found Agostini's body in night clothes and no shoes violently murdered. Sheep herders took his body to Messia where a burial mass reportedly attended to by the entire town was held at St. Albino Church. Agostini was laid to rest in the Messia Cemetery. The burial was paid for by Sheriff Mariano Barella, and his headstone was quarried from the surrounding rock at La Cueva and inscribed by Colonel Fountain. Though a number of theories rose up at the time of Agostini's death, there remains no clear evidence as to what led to his apparent violent death. For that reason, the case officially remains an unsolved murder. The hermit left a wealth of legends from a lifestyle that still fascinates many. What do you think happened to the hermit? 
I like how those little informational brochures always ask you a question like you're a third grader to get you involved, right? What do you think happened to the hermit? I think he probably got murdered by a banditos. But anyway. All right, guys. Well, that's pretty much Dripping Springs Natural Area, the Oregon Mountains. You can hike up and you can see the abandoned TB Asylum, Boyd's TB Asylum. You can see Van Patten's Mountain Camp that is also abandoned with all kinds of awesome structures and ruins of structures left behind to see. And you can also hike down to La Cueva, which has been inhabited since approximately 5000 BC. It was taken over by an esoteric hermit who was later murdered by really bad crappy people. But anyway, Dripping Springs Natural Area is a really, really cool place for you guys to explore and check out if you head down to New Mexico. So we're going to Head on to a commercial break real quick like, and then we'll come back and we're going to talk about the rest of day four and wrap up this episode in the second half. So anyway, I'll catch you guys on the other side of the break. What is up, all of you wayward souls? I want to tell you guys about our newest sponsor, Bendetti Optics, a brand based right here in the good old US of A, Portland, Oregon, to be exact. And I bought my first pair of Bendetti sunglasses about a year and a half ago and fell in love with them so much so that I got online and ordered a couple of more pair. And when I did, there was a small shipping snafu, an order fulfillment snafu, and I got on the phone, gave them a call, and guess what? I get a call back from who? One of the big men themselves, right there in Portland, from the top of the chain. Have a great conversation, and we end up starting this great relationship we have. They more than made right, the little snafu that occurred. And I am now a huge proponent of them because I can tell you from personal experience, they are good people. And they are trying to compete with the big boys out there coming in at a price point of about $40, but using the exact same frame material, TR90, and the same polarization process as the big guys. As it turns out, something I think we are already probably knew in our hearts, when you buy big name sunglasses, you're buying a big name. Not necessarily any more quality than you can get somewhere else, like at Bendetti Optics. They have 29 different styles. They have multiple polarization options for whatever climate you happen to live in. And they back it up with like this lifetime guarantee that if your dog eats your sunglasses, it doesn't matter how you break them. Send it back in with a check to cover shipping and handling and you're golden. You got a new pair on the way. These guys are truly trying to do it right. And they have this philosophy that a really good pair of sunglasses should not cost you so much that you are afraid to wear them. And I think all of us outdoorsmen can relate to that. So if you guys, like me, are very practical and like to get more bang for your buck and wear some great looking sunglasses, check out BendettiOptics.com. That's B-E-N-D-E-T-T-I, Optics.com. Or you can go over to Instagram slash BendettiOptics. And that I highly suggest, whether you buy a pair or not, just to check out the cutest pupper you will ever see modeling sunglasses. Once again, that's BendettiOptics.com. And make sure and let them know Wayward Stories sent you. And welcome back. Thank you guys for sticking around through the sponsor break. If you guys feeling frisky, go out and support some of those sponsors. Um, anyway, thank you guys for sticking around. So let's get right back into tonight's show. Um, so we can wrap this up in a timely manner. Um, so I can get to editing it in a timely manner and possibly eat dinner at some point before midnight um, and get ready to go to work tomorrow. Thus is reality. Anyway, picking back up, we finished up at Dripping Springs. So now we got to get over to White Sands. I've been trying to get to White Sands for the entire darn trip. I kept wanting to get there as well at sunset and other things kept preempting it. 
Um, like you guys, we've talked about how I run my adventures and I like to go by the seat of my pants. I love to set my period for irresponsibility. Okay. I am without my child for a four or five day stretch for whatever reason. This one happened to be Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, what am I going to do? Well, this is when I can quit being an adult and start driving. And this is when I have to be an adult again. So anywhere in between that, well, there's a few things I want to hit. Definitely got to hit White Sands if I'm going down here to southern New Mexico. Definitely want to check out these Oregon Mountains that I managed to find. You know, so I get these like high points. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. On this particular trip, for the most part, it actually worked out really well. Because the first two nights that I got to White Sands, by sunset, it was like super cloudy. And there wouldn't have been any kind of sunset. Well, on this day... You know, I'm finishing up around noon over at Dripping Springs. I've got a pretty good trek over the mountains and down into um, the Tularosa Basin and to, you know, get to actually get to White Sands and have time to get into White Sands, get out there, get on the dunes somewhere and just check the whole place out. And as it happened, it was a super cloudy, snowy day everywhere, all around, snow showers everywhere. I talked about that. Oh, a long time ago, back in, I mean, I think episode one, I think is Grand Canyon Smile, the very first episode. I would have to go look at my back catalog, but it's definitely in the first ones. And I think it's the first one, but I talked about how like, there's like, what look like pop-up thunderstorms here on the plains happen up in the high desert, but then there's snow falling out of them. And it's fascinating because here it's like this dark gray pouring beneath the clouds far in the distance. Up there, it's like this powdery white, and you can tell, oh, that is a pop-up snow shower. They kind of have, like, pop-up thunderstorms, pop-up summer showers, but they're, like, winter showers that are very snowy, and it's really fascinating. Well, this was going on all around, all the peaks, all around, everywhere that I went. And I was like, crap. Well, hell, I'm still going to White Sands. This is going to cost, but I'm going to White Sands. I am here there's no reason to miss it. If nothing else, I'll go in there and get my National Parks passport stamped at the very least and buy a t-shirt and a sticker, a magnet for the fridge, and, you know, go out there and check out the white sand. Even if I don't get to see the magnificent beauty that it displays. I don't know if you guys have ever seen videos and pictures that people have taken out there on those dunes at sunset. It's epic. It's absolutely intense. So I did not think this was going to get to happen, but get out there and y'all, you want to talk about holiday travelers. I said this was going to come up again back earlier in the episode. And well, here we are. That place was packed. White Sands was popping and y'all, it was a whole freaking ordeal. Okay. It took forever just to pay to get in and thank God that I got in when I did, got in early, because, you know, it just kind of worked out that way. Again, the road trip gods apparently were on my side. Got in kind of early for sunset, because I was like, there's not going to be a sunset. So let's just get out here, see the dunes, and then we can get on our merry way, heading for Santa Santa Rosa or Tucumcari. Hadn't decided yet. So I get out there after a long wait to buy my, you know, t-shirt, and magnet or whatever, and then finally get in line, go up there, buy my night, my park pass to get in. But I actually went ahead and bought the you know the yearly pass because it's way cheaper that way, y'all. Pay eighty bucks for the whole year to get into any national parks administered 
land that requires a fee for access for, you know, free for the rest of the year, 80 bucks once, trust me, if you hit a lot of national parks, way cheaper that way, way cheaper. So I just went ahead and got it for the year. Um, but as I'm going up in there, there's people or where, I mean, everywhere, as far as the eye can see everywhere, like you've got the boardwalk that you can take out onto the dunes. Didn't want to do that. You know, I wanted to get back off of the beaten path and try to get some kind of undisturbed sand photography going on. That was not to be. Unfortunately, was just not to be. Made the whole loop around to the back end where the biggest dunes are, where the best photography opportunities are. Literally, as far as you could see, there were black dots on the horizon. People out there probably better than a mile in some cases probably better than a mile and that was really really disappointing honestly so trying to make the best of it i tried to make the best of it and just kind of experience it which unfortunately you couldn't really experience the you know what i hear about white sands when it is dead and there's no one there how dead it is audibly dead you know sand is going to really retard so to speak any extreme noises so it kind of deadens the sound and I didn't get to experience that because there was people everywhere talking loudly and surfing and and tobogganing down the sand dunes which you know that's pretty cool or whatever but you know I wasn't there to do that I was there to try to get some pictures and just experience this freaking natural wonder because that's what you know white sands really is it's gypsum sand okay there's lakes up the way and as they fill up and dry out every year they leave behind the crystalline gypsum that is in the local um topography in the local geology and then the winds blow this stuff down and it starts to accumulate at white sands and like this place is ever growing okay it is like eating its way across the rest of the tularosa basin like it's an ever-growing thing so that's like what this actually is is an incredible natural wonder which is like just this giant dune field of white gypsum sand like it's not really like that anywhere else to my understanding anywhere else in the whole world there are other white sands in the world but this is a very unique phenomenon thus hence being a national monument so i tried to take that for what it was and just like explore that a little bit stand in it feel it look at it but it was a downer to be honest it was a real downer but but not to be deterred I was gonna try to get photos anyway and I think that I did manage to get a couple of photos out of the deal um like yo sometimes this is kind of just a lesson in making the best of a not so great situation I did manage to get a couple of photos out of it that really came out pretty cool that really came out pretty cool but it did take a little bit of hiking up into the dunes and it took a whole lot of editing after the fact intensive editing using a healing tool to remove most of the humans um and i was okay with that i don't like that heavy that much heavy editing of photography but to be honest this is probably the one time i'll ever go to white sands i mean it was a cool place but it doesn't warrant me going back to it um I mean, I don't know. I might. If I'm ever back down there and think I can hike far enough out to get away from people and get some of the magic shots that I've seen people get, 
I might, but odds are I'm not going back to White Sands. So you got to make the best of it. And I was okay with allowing myself to heavily edit those photos, not for really composition or anything else, to not, not to make it look like anything other than it looked like to me, other than to remove the humans. And y'all, I will tell you something. Like editing tools, like, ah, oh gosh, I just went completely blank on the name of it. But healing tools, they have come a long way. Like, it's absolutely amazing what I was able to do. Now, it took hours, honestly, truly hours of meticulous to meticulous labor to get all the humans out of it and make it look like no one was there, but it did, and it's passable. Like, I would have loved to have gotten an organic shot, shot with no one in it, but it's passable. And the reason I'm okay with it is because if I didn't do that, then I didn't get a picture of White Sands. You know, it they were all just literally littered with people and not toboggans, but little discs, like saucers, saucer sleds. They were everywhere. Um, and that's cool. I'm glad everyone was out there having a good time. I was shocked by how busy it was for literally being the day after Thanksgiving. But it was, oh my gosh, it was packed to the gills. And, you know, like I said earlier, it kind of worked out. You know, everything kind of worked out. I got there earlier than I expected to and just thought, well, we'll just kick it here and check it out or whatever. But then the clouds started to break a little bit. And that's part of what allowed me to get a couple of serviceable pictures that were worth me investing all the time and effort into editing the humans out of is that that did not give me a sunset. But what it did do is give me really awesome lighting and some really, really dramatic lighting. I'm talking very ominous, very, y'all, there was a great contrast, very ominous, dark clouds with some very bright, sunlight starting to poke through in places which illuminated the white sand and really showed off the dunes you know that I could get a picture of showed the dunes off you can check that out over at Instagram as well if you go look at the page um so it did it, it gave me the opportunity it ended up working out that I got to get some pretty cool pictures they weren't amazing sunset pictures but they were very very cool nonetheless actually one of my followers actually commented that one of those two pictures was my their favorite landscape from me yet. And that's, you know, high praise. I do a lot of landscape photography. I'm by no means a professional, but I do love doing it and I'm not terrible at it. Um, and so I was like, okay, well, I guess I would say we somehow salvaged that whole little messy scenario because I did get a picture out of it that at least one person thinks is the best one I've put out there. Um, and the reason I say that it worked out perfectly is because when I went to leave, made it back to the check-in shack, the guard shack on the way out, and cars were lined up as far as you could see all the way out to the entrance to the park. And it was already almost dark. I was like, none of these people are getting in here before dark. And that would have been cool to hang around after dark and try to do some astrophotography, but, you know, it's super cloudy. There was just a few breaks in the clouds. It would not have been a good night for astro. Um, but anyway, I was like, it ended up working out, I guess. In the end, sometimes you can make the best of kind of a cruddy situation. It was really packed, but we got in early. Couldn't get anyone, you know, couldn't get a sunset shot, but ended up getting a really dramatic, two or three really dramatic shots that had a really cool atmospheric effect going on. Um, and, you know, worked out just perfect where I didn't get stuck in the line trying to get in there at sunset, which is what I was going to do the two previous nights. So you see, in a way, the road trip God smiled upon me, and this day actually kind of worked out perfectly up until that point. And at that point, it's like, okay, 
Well, now, out of White Sands, what's next? So, there were two things that I wanted to do. And I didn't think that I was going to actually make it to one. There's a place called White Oaks up the road, which is on the way back up towards Santa Rosa. And I was like, I want to make it to White Oaks. That is a really cool, at least from what I can see on the interwebs, a really, really, really cool mining town. And so I set out on a little bit of a mission to try to get to White Oaks. But it started to become apparent as I'm kicking it back out that I'm not going to make it before sunset. That was a little bit disappointing. I was like, man, that was one I really wanted to hit. But again, these things were so spread out. That was one of the things about this whole trip is many of the things I wanted to see were quite spread out. I mean, Gila Cliff Dwellings was a whole day adventure in its own right because it was three hours to get over there from um, Las Cruces. Even though it wasn't a ton of miles, it's a lot of slow miles because it was driving through gorgeous, gorgeous mountains with a lot of switchbacks and stuff. It's totally worth the trip, but that took up a whole day just hitting the Gila Cliff Dwellings, right? So I was like, gosh, dang it. I'm going to have to leave this on the table. And we'll talk a little bit about all the things we left on the table as we wrap up the show just in a little while um, to kind of show you guys there's a lot there. There's a lot there. I was there for four days and filled them up daylight to dark. Of course, it's winter towards the solstice. So it's the shortest days of the year, but I had 12 hours of daylight for four days and I left a bunch of crap on the table that I would love to do. So I'm going to be going back, but we'll talk about that right when we wrap up the episode. But so I'm going up and I'm trying very hard to get to White Oaks and it starts to become apparent. I'm not making White Oaks. But what I do realize is that I am reapproaching Sierra Blanca Peak, which I had previous three days before, if you'll remember, gone to see the Tres Rios petroglyph site and 21,000 petroglyphs. And I talked about Sierra Blanca Peak in the distance, got some really cool photos of that that I really, really love. But I realized we're coming back up on the road where Sierra Blanca Peak is in the distance. And there is the Tres Rios site, which I've already seen. But I knew the areas when I'm saying I'm like, yo, yo, I might get to Sierra Blanca Peak before sunset. And you know, what would be really, really, really cool. A time lapse of sun setting on Sierra Blanca Peak because it's in the east, right? So you're going to have this and the sunset was already now this at this point, this far north away from White Sands. Suddenly there was a sunset. It wasn't happening back at White Sands because it was just cloud cover. But where the turnoff was to, you know, getting close to Sierra Blanca there was like a bunch of breaks in the clouds and there were oranges. Y'all, there were reds. The sky was on fire. And I was like, oh my God. So I am roasting at speeds much faster than police care for. Again, just like, you know, the previous night trying to chase down the Lake Valley Historic District. You'll remember from the last episode, I'm racing sunset to a place to try to get a shot. And in my mind, what I'm seeing is mostly a time lapse because what's going on Okay, on top of Sierra Blanca that I can see because this is beautiful. Now, keep this in mind. Now, I've got a mission that I'm staring at. Like, I want to get there and I really, really, really want to get a time lapse of this. But that's just a mission that I have in mind. What's happening is I am actually racing up the interstate watching an incredible high desert sunset go on all around me. There are awesome clouds all over. There are awesome little snow showers popped up all along the horizons. There are mountain peaks 
everywhere you can see because you're cruising through the middle of the Tularosa Basin. And off to the right, I'm looking at Sierra Blanca Peak and what's going on on top of it. The reason I want a time lapse so bad I can't see straight is because there are aggressive lenticular clouds happening on top of Sierra Blanca Peak, which means there is an air mass on one side that is pushing over the top of that mountain and the ridges that come along with it. And there is just clouds pouring over the top of that mountain and creating a dome over the top of Sierra Blanca, the peak itself, that is constantly morphing. It is moving. Those clouds are so fast, coming over those peaks so fast that you can see them with your naked eye shifting and changing constantly. So I'm like, this is gorgeous, y'all. You are cruising up an interstate in wide open, flat basin in the high desert, watching weather happen all around you and it is gorgeous weather it is gorgeous sunset and it was freaking magical to me like it was a moment y'all I was having a moment but I was also doing Mach 2 with my hair on fire because I wanted to get into a location to get a time lapse of Sierra Blanca Peak for sunset and that did happen it required the Lady Clementine Sue Biscuit the third doing a little drifting possibly around some curves out there and um essentially traveling faster than the speed of sound in certain instances and then kind of sliding power brake style sideways into like a dirt road that was probably a driveway the more i think back on it but it was the perfect place i was almost out of time and came sliding to a stop through the camera up on the dashboard, set it static and started the time lapse and let that dude roll for about the next 25 minutes as I wandered around outside the car and we wandered and took pictures of the peak, of the sunset on the peak, of the sunset towards the sunset. You know, I tried to get all artsy fartsy and get some cool desert fauna or flora, actually some cool desert flora in the foreground and, and silhouette got a few cool pictures and they're all over there at the Instagram. Um, if you guys want to check them out at our Instagram page rather and on my Facebook, but like I spent 25 minutes freezing my butt off, taking pictures in all directions, way too many pictures took forever to freaking sort through through. Let me tell you. Um, but I got my time lapse and if nothing else, if you guys have a TikTok, I am at wayward stories or if you have Instagram, at Wayward Sun 119. I suggest going over and checking out that time lapse, guys. It's really cool. I set it to one of my favorite songs of all time, honestly, that I haven't really listened to in a lot of years, but one of my bands that I just absolutely love from back in the day, Blues Traveler, The Mountains Went Again. And y'all, for me, it's just a whole vibe. It's a whole moment. You watch that video, you will see the mountain turn orange and slowly the shadow from the base upward eat the mountain. And while you're watching that, if you look very closely, you can see those lenticular clouds. You can see the clouds in the foreground that are just continually morphing and growing at high speed. But you can see those lenticular clouds pouring over the mountain. If you can zoom in a little bit or open it on a large screen to view it, y'all, it's really cool to watch. Two, you know, backed by a pretty darn good tune by a pretty darn good band that I always loved, Blues Traveler. They had some good stuff. I mean, some of you guys might be... If you're old as I am, you might be like, oh, I remember Hook. Yeah, that was cool. No, y'all, they had a bunch of good songs. I was one of those dudes that bought albums back in the day. CDs, I mean. But, you know, the whole album. They That whole four was a good album. The whole damn album was a good album. And Mountains Win Again was on that album, I do believe. But anyway, 
Y'all might want to go over there and check that out because that was a super cool time lapse. But it was fun. It was fun, okay? Like, I just got gut punched a little bit at White Sands. I didn't know yet I was going to be able to salvage a photo. Y'all, it was three or four days later. I was back here at home and I spent hours getting a photo edited together that I felt like, okay, at least I got a photo of my time there that feels reminiscent of what I saw Sands people. Um, But I didn't know that yet. To me, it was more just a gut punch. I just spent a buttload of money on an experience that wasn't all that hot because it was definitely overcrowded. And it was getting more crowded by the moment. But I come out of there and end up on a race with the clock, a race with the sun. And it was just a blast. And it was absolutely beautiful. Everything about it was exciting and fun. And y'all, that that right there, that's a part of the adventure that I love so much. You guys, you get out there. That's kind of the key. You got to get out there and live it, guys. Those moments don't happen. Yeah, sometimes you're out there and it's just a cloudy freaking day and it's a suck day and it doesn't work out. That happens. It happened to me for two straight nights on this very trip that I didn't get out there to get an awesome sunset at White Sands. But it worked out thus that because I was there and things worked out how they were that I got to race the clock and race the sun to a sunset and got a really, really killer time lapse and some really good photos while the camera was catching the time lapse. Y'all, that is fun. See, to me, that is what the adventure is all about, is the experience. This whole trip was about the experience. I got to stand at the Gila Cliff Dwellings where 700 freaking years ago, 800 years ago, people built these insane structures on the side of a damn bluff face. I got to go stand there and see it in inclement weather, in the high desert, in the high mountains. Like, you got to freaking experience it chasing down the lake valley historic district and racing that sunset was a whole experience going up in the oregon mountains with all the snow was a whole experience that's this whole trip was the experience and that's what it's all about because to me the adventure is where we find ourselves right the adventure is where we learn more and we expand our horizons and we expand our worldview and we we get a better understanding of other peoples and places and cultures and the world gets just a little bit better Because the more all of us know, the more understanding we all have, the more empathy we all have for other people and other time frames, other cultures, and how we got to where we are, who we are from what we used to be, and just being out there experiencing it, yeah, that's when you're alive. Like sitting on the couch watching whatever the latest, I don't know, is it still Big Brother? Are we still doing Big Brother? Like, I don't even know if that's still a thing, but I remember it was a huge thing, at least until a few recent years ago, because a good friend of mine has a wife that watches it all the time. That is not living, in my humble opinion, sitting on the couch, vegetating into nothingness and watching mindless, you know, just entertainment. Well, it's entertainment. I watch TV, y'all. Most of mine's documentaries because I'm a freaking nerd, but I'm not saying I'm not judging watching TV. Don't get me wrong. I'm not judging watching TV, but it has a place. But it can't be like all the place. Living is getting out and experiencing this world on its terms. The only way you get to chase a sunset, race a sunset to a gorgeous mountain peak in New Mexico amidst snowstorms and get a freaking time lapse, a gorgeous time lapse and watch lenticular clouds like eat the top of the mountain. The only way you get to see that and experience it is to be out there doing it. Like you've got to get out and do it, guys. That's the whole point of 
Everything here is me just trying to tell you, please go live. We're going to regret a lot of stuff when we die, guys. We're going to regret a lot of stuff when we die. Every single one of us has got stuff that we're going to regret. Don't let sitting at home, watching TV and doing nothing be one of those regrets because there's too much out there that is too accessible to go out and experience and live. It's too easy to do. Yeah, it is a pain in the butt. I get it. I say it's too easy to do. I mean that in the broader context, it's there to be done. You know, it's there to be done and it's not that far away. Anywhere you live in this world, there's something amazing close to you within five hours, eight hours, 10 hours, one hour. There's stuff everywhere. Go live it. Don't hit the end of your life and be the person. This is how I live my life now is I don't want to be the person that gets to the end of my life and says, boy, howdy, I sure am glad I spent all those hours at the office working. No, like you're going to sit there and go, geez, work was so stupid and pointless. I wish that I had seen the Rockies. I wish I had seen the desert Southwest. I wish that I'd seen Alaska. I wish that I'd seen Europe, whatever it is, y'all. You put your mind to it, you'll find a way to get out there and do it. And there's too many everyday opportunities all around us to miss out on that stuff. That's all I'm saying. I just got really preachy and I guess on some kind of a weird high horse, but it's not meant that way. I hope you guys don't take it that way. It's meant because I really freaking truly care about you and humans in general. I really do. To like, I love humans so much, I hate them half the damn time. I think a lot of you probably just felt the heck out of that statement, didn't you? Like, I love humans so much that they make me hate them sometimes. Just beat my head against the wall. But the point is, in this situation, what I'm trying to tell you is, it to me, I think your life will benefit. You, your heart, your mind, your soul will benefit by getting outside of your comfort zone. I saw something on a sign the other day, and usually I ignore marquee signs, but this one really caught me. And it said, your life begins where your comfort zone ends. And that is so true. So many of us don't get out and we don't challenge ourselves and we don't push ourselves or we just don't even get out because something about it is outside of our comfort zone. On some level, anxiety keeps us from doing. No, your life starts at the point where your comfort zone ends. When you are no longer comfortable, your life just kicked into gear. That is where it is lived. Get out there and push yourself. Go get out of the house and go live. Anyway, I will not belabor that any further because I just went super ad nauseum on you guys. But we are getting close to the end of tonight's show. So, I mean, that was really, I mean, it's okay. We'll leave it in. Justin, it's all right. You've had a long week. It's been a long week, long recording session and a hell of a weekend. It'll be okay. People, people will be okay hearing that. Anyway, got that. Time lapse, cool photos, Go check it out. It was awesome. So to wrap up the episode, I had to make it on. What I ended up trying to do is get to Tucum Carry, which I did end up doing. But it was getting dark. It's getting late. So I'm kicking it way up through. I mean, y'all, they had big snow in northern New Mexico as I'm going up this way. Because I came, I went back home a different way than I came down. I didn't go through Roswell going home. I went on up to Interstate 40, went to Santa Rosa. They had big snow up there over the previous few days because there were like snow piles all over the side of the road. I stopped at one filling station just to uh, take a restroom break. And I mean, there was like, 
it was frigid and there was heavy snow all over the pumps, all over the ground. Um, but I'm out there and it's winter, right? It's super freaking dark. The, the moon has not risen. It may have been a new moon for all I know, but we had no moon in the sky and I'm looking up at all these stars. So I get out in the middle of nowhere on this little, you know, state highway in the back in the middle of nowhere on my way to interstate 40, found a good pull off and pulled off just to go stare at the stars for a minute, guys. And take a minute. I even thought, well, I got this newer camera that I've never gotten to attempt Astro with. So I'm going to pull it out and see if I can't just get a proof of concept. How is this camera going to perform with astrophotography, if at all? So pull over and stop and get out and look. And y'all, you want to talk about the night skies. Milky Way, visible to the naked eye. You know, in most situations, you can't see it with the naked eye. You do have to do some astrophotography or something to see that milky white band stretching across our sky. No, it was out there. You could see it with your naked eye. That's how clear. It was winter, so the humidity's down. The cold air is always conducive to viewing of the night sky. We're out there. You can talk about no light pollution. The high desert, no, nowhere near any of the big cities yet. Oh, y'all. It was amazing. Camera did not do well. I don't think it's going to be an astrophotography camera. Um, bought without a lot of money shoved into some accessories, but y'all, if you're into astrophotography or if you're just into stargazing, New Mexico, baby, you talk about dark sky, just like anywhere out there in the desert, you go up to Nevada, you go up to Utah, you go up to Colorado. It's like, there's a lot of awesome places, but New Mexico, man, that was awesome. Those stars that night, there's even a couple of meteors, you know, there's a bit of a meteor shower going on when I was coming back through. Get on up from there though. Have to get home. It's time to get this all wrapped up for both my trip back on those, that weekend, but also for this show tonight. So I wrapped it up, pulled the friggin', got my camera together, got my tripod together, got back in the car and kicked it and got on to Santa Rosa. Now I still had a ways to go to Tucum Carry after Santa Rosa. I don't remember. It's like an hour and a half, maybe beyond, but I was starving. It was time to eat. Okay. So I pull into, and just like by chance, kicking it down old 66 coming into Santa Rosa. And I come across a place that just says Joseph's restaurant. And then there's another science system like Joseph's bar and grill. And I was like, that is open. It looks like a you know, pretty good place. So let's go check it out. And sure enough, it is a neat little restaurant. And I just want to throw it in here because it is a part of the trip, part of the travelogue. Neat little restaurant on Route 66 in Santa Rosa, Joseph's Restaurant. They've been around a lot of years there. Highly suggest that you check it out, guys. They had an awesome little shopkeep there. She was super sweet. She let me put a whole stack of my my three by five postcard style cards out on the counter. She was super into it. She's like, heck yeah, I leave those here. I'll pass them out to people. Like I said earlier, got an email, got a, a Instagram message from someone that picked one of those cards up right there at Joseph. So it works. It was awesome, but she was super nice. And y'all, they make some hella food. They really do. You guys know me. I definitely, when I come across good food, I definitely probably over sensationalize it to you guys time and again, but I will tell you this. You guys heard me talk about recently about Pizza by Stout 2 up in Joplin, Missouri and how it, you know, unfortunately fell to the Joplin tornado and was not reopened. The best pizza I've had since Pizza by Stout 2 was at Joseph's Restaurant. They made little personal pan pizzas and I ordered one and y'all, 
It was made out of real ingredients, and I can tell you that for a fact because it did not upset my stomach. Food that's got a lot of processed crap in it makes me ill. I mean, literally ill. No, that hit the spot. I felt like I had eaten real food, and that was some tasty-ish, y'all. That was good, good, good stuff. So I highly suggest checking out Joseph's in Santa Rosa. From there, I went with my very, very full and happy tummy on down the road to Tucumcari. I took up residence for the night at the cheapest place in town, the Motel 6. Told you guys, you need to travel on a budget. Motel 6 will not let you down 8 out of 10 times. Now, the 2 out of 10 times it does let you down, it's brutal. Always read the reviews. I made that mistake here recently. Didn't read the reviews. Big mistake. Read the reviews every time for everyone. And I'm happy to report that Motel 6 in Tucumcari still has Space Shower. This is something we ran across back in the On the Fringe days when I was still making that TV show. Back, they had done like a nationwide remodel of many of the Motel 6s. And they had what we called Space Shower. It's like this weird corner stall that looked like a Star Trek transporter, and we just always called it Space Shower. Well, here now on 15 years later, I'm back in Tucumcari in the same hotel I stayed in at some point way the heck back there, and Space Shower's still there. Unfortunately, it was still clean. Anyway, y'all, it's time to get this over with. Like, I've definitely run on past time tonight. I hope you guys have enjoyed it. But yeah, let's wrap it up. From there, like, just so you know, the following day was just a crappy drive home, nine and a half hour drive home in freaking rain with <laughs> the traffic that comes with interstate driving in the rain. As many of you well know, it is quite treacherous, not a lot of fun, but I was glad to be home when I finally got home. I wish I could have stayed longer, but you know, that's the break. Sometimes you only get so many days that you can, you know, check out of adulting and you got to get back here to the real world. So anyway... On that note, I also, tonight, have to get back to the real world and start editing this. I have enjoyed talking to you guys tonight. I am glad to have you back with me, and I look forward to talking to you guys again here in a couple of weeks. Don't know yet what we're going to talk about then. Just being completely honest, I have no idea what the next episode is going to be, but we'll figure it out by the time we get there. If you guys are enjoying the show, please rate, review, and subscribe. Y'all, again, the ratings and reviews. Again, Boston Traveler 4, thank you guys so much for leaving a review. Y'all, it's that huge. If you get time and you want to support the show, if you like what you're hearing, go to your podcast player of choice and leave a review. Hopefully a positive one. And I prefer five stars over one. But either way, you know, you do you and and give as your heart desires, whatever you feel is fair. Um, and also feel free to share us in your Facebook groups. If you come across an episode that resonates with something you really dig, or you have a group of people that you think will be into it, feel free to share it. You will always have my eternal gratitude. If you want to get in touch, my wayward story at gmail.com or go over to the website waywardstories.com. If you want to get access, like be able to get in touch with me via Instagram or Facebook or see any of the photos or videos, the YouTube channel. All of it, Nexus of Information, waywardstories.com. Y'all, once again, so happy to have you along. Welcome to all of you new listeners. You're piling in by the dozen every week, and I'm happy to have every one of you. Love every one of you guys, and I hope to see you here again in two weeks. Until then, you guys get out there. Find yourself an adventure. There's one close by, I promise. And you guys be good to each other. 